Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Second hour is here. Glad you're with us. OutKick 360 rolls on the OutKick network with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. PK is down in Florida at the NFL owners meetings. A lot to hit in that regard. We will hit some of the headlines there in just a moment, plus uh, run through the news and notes of NFL free agency uh, with the quarterback trades, uh, wide receiver trades, and much, much more. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. You can join us the next time or the first time you visit Nashville, Tennessee, our daily studios here right behind the Music City Center, which is the uh, big convention center uh, right in the heart of downtown Nashville. We say hello. To John McLean of the Houston Chronicle, TexasSportsNation.com, who joins us weekly at this time, and we talk all things National Football League with uh, the man who's covered the league for nearly five decades. John, hope you're doing well. Guys, I'm doing very well. I hope you are too. Same here. You can follow John on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Uh, The news of the day is a change to the overtime rules for the NFL postseason. Your thoughts on both teams now getting to possession. This is always going to be referred to as what Mahomes and Allen got done on that one possession uh, where Mahomes had possession and Josh Allen did not as he watched the Bills from the sideline uh, give up the touchdown and essentially the game, the game in overtime to Kansas City in the postseason. Your thoughts on starting with the postseason only and what it means now for teams and their approach to the coin toss whenever they actually get to the playoffs. Well, remember, it goes back to Mahomes and Brady. Mahomes didn't get to touch the ball, and Brady did. And I think it's, and they went on to win a Super Bowl, and I think it's great. I wish they'd done it for a regular season. And I think it's only fair that both teams get to touch the ball. You might be able to see a team winning coin toss and go on defense to know exactly what they might need to win the game in overtime. But I think it's long overdue. John, you bring up a good point. This is not the first time we've seen it happen. It was four or five years ago uh, with that Mahomes, maybe six years ago with the Mahomes-Brady, where Brady gets the ball and wins it in overtime in Kansas City and Mahomes doesn't get it. Um, my question is, why now? Why was it that game specifically that finally got the league to act and change the overtime policy? Was it a culmination of everything going on? Was there something specific and special about that one game that led them to say, okay, everyone is, that's been calling for this is right, we're wrong, it's time to, to change the rule? I'm curious about something I, be, I believe to have been wrong for years. Suddenly the league is all in agreement, well, except for three teams, that it is wrong and they changed the rule. You hit the nail on the head, child, like culmination not just because of that one game. There's been a push for it for a while now. The last time I heard a big push was after that Patriots-Chiefs game. And I think this one, it was such a magnificent game 
that everybody watched and talked about, and it kind of pushed it over the edge. Now, I never thought the Titans proposal would uh, pass. They don't do they don't make radical changes like that. But this is good, and if it goes over, say once or twice in the playoffs, and it works out well, there'll be a big push to it in regular season. The problem with regular season and they don't like games running too long. Remember they shortened overtime to 12, was it 10 or 12 minutes? They shortened it from 15, which I think is preposterous because if it's a great game, it doesn't matter how long it, it, it goes on. But all those CBS shows pushing later, pushing all 60 minutes and the other ones back, the networks pay attention to that. So they're trying to make games shorter, not longer. And having both teams touch the ball would make it longer. But if it, if it, Turns out to work in the playoffs. I believe this time next year at the league meetings, there will be a recommendation from the competition committee to the owners to implement it in regular season as well. So, John, it's not going to be um, it's not going to be hard. You're saying to get the regular season pushed through in this. It's not just another incident of week 17 rolls along and we get another version of Mahomes Allen and a team is left out of a win and end scenario because they didn't possess the ball in the regular season over time. I think they didn't want to do everything at once. They want to see how it works out. We may not have an overtime game in the playoffs for a couple of years, but considering how close all these games were, the odds are we will. And if it turns out to be good for the league, mainly if TV wants it, then they'll do it in regular season. But they run the risk with so much competition, so many games being decided by three or fewer points. You run the risk of having a lot of overtimes, a lot of overtime games, and then the game is being extended. And then it gets into what I said a while ago. They don't want those network programmings on Sunday night, the biggest night of the year, to be pushed back, especially when you're talking about CBS and ABC competing with Sunday Night Football on NBC, the most popular show of the week. So there are a lot of ramifications of this, but just doing it in postseason, I, three teams voted against it, Minnesota, Cincinnati, Miami. Cincinnati votes against everything because of Mike Brown. But I think uh, I'm surprised it wasn't 31 to 1 with Mike Brown being the only one voting against it. I think it'll be a little bit more difficult, even if the, we do see an overtime in, in the postseason and it's very successful and the networks are happy because the networks in the postseason are doubling their, their viewing audience and having Mahomes and Allen possess the football in a primetime slot is worth it to them. Having Taylor Heineke and Tua Tagovailoa take up primetime slots on Sunday night is not in the regular season in October during sweeps. So I think it's a much different animal in the regular season than just, hey, it worked in the postseason this year. Let's adopt it now for the full schedule because then you really have to get the networks on board. I don't think that the networks had any pushback with the postseason because they're getting 50 million eyeballs on their product at that point. That's a great point. You don't want to see those lesser teams and lesser quarterbacks extending games. John, uh, the news in New Orleans, they've signed Andy Dalton as the backup to Jameis Winston. So this discussion that we had of uh, Taysom Hill as a quarterback, I guess was short-lived because the bonus money is different for him as a skilled position player compared to the quarterback position, which he does play from time to time. 
but it's definitely not full time. That that was signaled whenever they brought back Winston. He's going to play tight end. We're going to see the first tight end option pass. Has that never happened? Oh, I'm sure it has oh, okay. at some point. <laughs> you just don't see many tight ends throwing the football like you do running backs. Every once in a while, a wide receiver will come out, come in, take a lateral and throw it down the field. But I never remember a tight end doing it. I'm sure they have at some point in history. But, boy, if he takes the ball – and he's in the backfield. You got to worry about it because he's got a great arm and he can still throw. And I guarantee he'll be the best throwing tight end in the NFL. John, just when you thought you were done fielding questions about Deshaun Watson, I've got another one for you. Uh, with time to process now that introductory press conference in Cleveland, did anything about it change your opinion, change your mind, or how would you grade? the performance of Watson and the Browns in that press conference, given the obvious, very difficult situation, knowing the questions that Deshaun Watson was going to be fielding in that press conference. First of all, I've done four talk shows or podcasts and even NPR in Cleveland since the news conference. And I'm stunned, and so are most people, that the Browns didn't come out. General Manager Andrew Berry say, look, guys, because of the legalities, Watson's been instructed not to answer any questions about the lawsuit. That would have taken him off the hook for a lot. They didn't, and he got bombarded from every angle. Great job by the Cleveland media and Akron media. And I could see him squirm, making him uncomfortable as he should be. But the big takeaways, takeaways number one, when he said he didn't have any regrets. Now, you'd think being prepped by PR people plus crisis PR people, they would have said, you're going to be asked if you have any regrets. But what he should have said, of course I have regrets. You know, I have regrets because my name has been tarnished. There's a stain on my name that I'll always have, and I'm going to do everything I can to prove to you that I'm not the guy I've been portrayed to be in the lawsuits. The other thing, of course, if he'd have been Pinocchio, his nose would have grown across the uh, dais because he said that money had nothing to do with his decision to go to Cleveland and blame the media for pressuring him on telling Cleveland they were out of it, which, of course, it's ridiculous. The third thing was Andrew Berry, the general manager, saying redoing the first of the contract, giving him a new contract, making that first-year base salary, which would have been $35 million with Houston, it was 1.03 million, had nothing to do with him possibly being suspended, had to do with the cap. Well, of course it had to do with the cap. It helped lower it to 10 million, which is a great job negotiating by Andrew Berry and Agent David Mulligetta. But to say that it had nothing to do with possible suspension is preposterous. Of course it did, because games missed in a suspension come out of the base salary, not the bonus. It was smart. Just own it. Chad, you bring up, uh, well, it, old what could be conceived as old news on Deshaun Watson. It's not. It's very topical because Roger Goodell has yet to speak and is about to speak to reporters at the NFL owners' meetings. He will be asked about Deshaun Watson, and the news cycle continues there. He'll also be asked about the overtime rules and, and much more. Yeah, I mean, look, and it's looking at this story, John, we can all say innocent until proven guilty. And that's a great thing to say. And that's what we should do as Americans is feel that way. But that's not how everyone feels when they see 22 accusations against someone. 
But then I see that two different grand juries declined to press charges and move forward in a case against Deshaun Watson. And John, it was the first time that I thought to myself, maybe the ending I thought in all of this isn't going to be the ending. And the ending I predicted the whole time was some sort of huge settlement for all of the accusers and some sort of suspension for Deshaun Watson. Not an entire season, maybe half a season, maybe four games, but that he was going to pay a lot of money to the accusers. It wouldn't end up going to court. And then he would get suspended. My opinion maybe changed a little bit with the news from the two grand juries. Did it change for you at all, or do you still expect that this is how it's all going to end with Deshaun Watson in this case? Nothing changed with me. Every grand jury member can think you're guilty, and if they know bill you, it just means they don't think there's enough evidence there for the prosecutor to convict. And uh, the second one was one woman in a county south of Houston, Brazoria, same thing. Didn't think they had enough evidence to convict. Doesn't mean he's innocent. Just means the grand jury didn't think there was enough evidence. And as far as the 22 lawsuits, I believe the Browns would have wanted some kind of assurances before they gave him $230 million guaranteed that this was not going to drag out over a couple of years with 22 civil trials. That he, they wanted him to reach settlements. And I hope that his accusers, based on the sordid details and the allegations in the lawsuits, there's despicable things in there. I've read them three times. It's just, it's disgusting. And I hope that whatever the, the victims are trying to get out of it, whether it's a lawsuit or it's a settlement, I hope they're able to do that. At some point, Watson will come back from his suspension and he will play and have everything behind him. And then he'll play another 10 or 12 years and be a great quarterback. John McClain with us. Coming up, we'll pick up on that contract with Deshaun Watson and the impact it will have moving forward on the position. Uh, I'm sure behind the scenes, that's a topical discussion right now among the owners at the NFL owners meetings. The deal that Watson received, fully guaranteed, and the quarterbacks it could impact next offseason, for instance. We'll get with John on that. We'll discuss the wide receiver trades, Tyreek Hill to Miami, um, we've got Devontae Adams now with the, the Vegas Raiders. Jim Ursay continues to talk about Carson Wentz and continues to discuss the, the Colts' approach to this offseason and specifically who they're chasing in the AFC. John McClain weighs in on all of that coming up on Outkick 360. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network with Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. John McClain with us each and every Tuesday at this time. We dive in to the NFL headlines with John. You can follow him on Twitter at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Uh, John, let's pick up on the Deshaun Watson discussion from the guaranteed money perspective. Is Lamar Jackson the quarterback that's about to benefit the most from this deal? Today at the NFL owners meetings, um, ownership for the Ravens, Bashadi said that they're not very close in negotiations with Lamar Jackson because it's up now to Lamar to pick up the phone and call Eric DaCosta in order to get things going. And keep in mind, 
he's going into the final year of his contract, which is the fifth year option, where he's going to be paid what twenty plus million this season, uh, which is four times as much as what he's been paid through the first four years of his contract as a former MVP. Things look pretty for him. He hasn't been healthy last year, but he's getting paid this year on the fifth-year option. Is he looking at Deshaun Watson-type money moving forward? Absolutely not, because he doesn't have an agent. His mother and him are his agents. He needs to get an agent. Wouldn't surprise me at all when he gets one and he gets David Mulligan, who did such a great job with Jalen Ramsey and Deshaun Watson. But Jackson needs an agent to do this for him. Is the biggest thing he'll ever sign. I don't know that they won't wait to see how he comes back from the injury, but he has got to get financial help. And the, the guaranteed money starts at 230 right now. And the Haslam's, I'll guarantee you, if people aren't saying anything to their face in Palm Beach, they're talking behind their back. They're like, oh my God, Denver's new owner. In another year, we'll be extending Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's going to want all that guaranteed money. Lamar Jackson as well. You know, when Watson agreed in the September, first week of September of 2020, on his four-year $156 million extension, people thought, wow, what a deal. Then Josh Allen agrees last year, and people are like, oh, my goodness, they're never going to win with a quarterback taking up so much of that cap space. And now – Based on what Watson got from the Browns, it looks like those others got really good deals. I think in about three or four years, people are going to look back on Watson's deal and say, man, that was a good deal for the Browns because teams get $300 million a year from TV. And they say that gambling is going to go up to a billion dollars to be spread out within three years, and it could be more. So there's a reason when a franchise is for sale – like the Broncos that get like 20 people checking it out, multi-billionaires who can't wait to pay their billions to become part of this exclusive club and spend so much money. I'm intrigued by the, by the Lamar Jackson contract negotiation, though, when it actually happens. Because, um, and you're right about the health factor. That, you can say that about any player, but specifically Lamar because he is coming off injury. But... If he plays this year, so this year he's going to make $23 million on the fifth year. And keep in mind, last year he played on a base salary of $1.7. That's a, that's a massive jump for the fourth, fourth year of the fifth year, which comes with being that first-round pick. Beyond that, John, let's hypothetically say it becomes a Dak Prescott-like uh, back and forth, like we saw in Dallas where they're franchise tagging him. Well, based on the tags and then this year's fifth-year option – over the next three years, he's going to make $118 million guaranteed. Uh, that's not terrible for a player without an agent, not paying the 3 to 7% or whatever it might be. So I, I, am, I am curious how Baltimore goes about this because you would think they would be trying to take advantage of a player without an agent. And so far, they haven't gotten very far because he's actually played this perfectly, in my opinion. He's been the anti-Kyler Murray. He's been silent. He's kept his mouth shut. We haven't heard from him. Who knows what's going on? He, ha- he knows he holds a ton of leverage as a former MVP. And meanwhile, Kyler Murray, no one's discussing a contract extension for him in Arizona. And he's been running his mouth. Jonathan, we don't see the Ravens getting a lot of contract battles with their players. They let players go 
in free agency and then compensatory third round picks help them rebuild. And I don't think when Lamar Jackson wants to get serious about negotiating, whether it's him or a newly hired agent, I think they'll get it done. You know, teams will do two, two rarely, they'll do two uh, franchise tags, but nobody ever does a third one. That means he'd have to be there another three years. And I don't care how much 118 million guaranteed, that's chicken feed compared to 230. And I would imagine that when he has an agent, that agent's going to say, hey, my guy's been MVP. Watson hasn't. My guy's uh, has, has been in the playoffs every year when he's healthy. Watson hasn't. So there's a lot of things that he's got that Watson does not. But the difference is Watson, of course, was a trick bait and Lamar Jackson is not. And that we on top of all this, we've got the TV money from the new contracts coming in with the the league, which is we're going to see the cap go up and up and up. Uh, either way, we Murray and Jackson are going to get paid big money because if they don't get paid where they are, we, we've seen quarterbacks say, hey, trade me, I'm out. And teams will get picks in return for these type players, and those guys will end up getting the contract. Case in point is Deshaun Watson uh, with what happened there in Houston. Um, across the league, we saw also some wide receivers get paid not by the teams they were with, not by the Super Bowl contenders they were with, but other, other teams trying to become contenders, John. Let's start with Tyreek Hill, who is traded from Kansas City to Miami. Kansas City, in theory, based on these picks, keeps their window of opportunity open longer. Cheaper versions of Tyreek Hill can be drafted. I'm not saying they reach that his level, but with Mahomes in that offense, who knows? Meanwhile, what does this do for Miami's perspective? Well, first of all, as long as Mahomes is there and Andy Reid, they're always going to be a Super Bowl contender, and it doesn't matter. It's a really good year for wide receivers. Wouldn't surprise me if they didn't draft two, including one in the uh, first round. As far as Tyreek Hill, it's going to be a little different. Catching passes from Tua Tungvaloa instead of Patrick Mahomes, especially catching passes from whoever the backup is when Tua gets hurt because he gets hurt every year. Now, they've got an impressive twosome there at wide receiver, but Tua is going to have to stay healthy. He's going to have to develop in his third season. He's going to have to be better at throwing the ball down the field. You know, Hill's a good receiver on deep routes or slant routes that he can take to the house. Tua throws a good slant route. So I look for their offense to be more prolific, but certainly not in the same neighborhood as the Chiefs. They were already a wild card contender. People fail to mention that they've had back-to-back years of winning seasons in Miami. Um, but what what does this addition do for them? Why go all in with the picks they gave up, John? Uh, it, it's got to be more than just figuring out if two is the guy. Well, I don't know. They've said two is the guy. They've backed out on the Watson sweepstakes after they were so hot to try to get him last year. Nobody's going to pick them to win the division over Buffalo, they might not even make the playoffs over New England, but they tells me they want to win now. They're more comfortable trading five draft choices for a wide receiver. When I see what was traded for Tyreek Hill, five picks, including a one and a two, and Devontae Adams, a one and a two, and then I think back, DeAndre Hopkins, they got a two, and they got running back David Johnson, who was way over the hill, almost all the way to the other side, and they use that second-round pick on defensive tackle 
Ross Blacklock, who's been a backup every year. Can you imagine that? A backup and a worn-out David Johnson for DeAndre Hopkins. And, man, oh, man, do the Cardinals look smart. And Bill O'Brien looks really dumb. Hey, but keep in mind, I'm not asking you which quarterback is better because I think it's a unanimous vote if the three of us chatted about Derek Carr or Tua Tagovailoa. But I'm asking which quarterback improves the most based on the addition. Is it Adams paired with Carr, or is it Tua paired now with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle? Well, since Carr's always healthy, and he already threw for over 4,000 yards, so he's a proven quarterback. He's still number four in that division right now. But I think having Devontae Adams uh, is going to mean they could be the first division with four playoff teams. Tua, I'm not even sure having having Tyreek Hill there will help them make the playoffs, considering Buffalo should win the division, and New England is an obstacle to getting there. So I would say Derek Carr, because they've already in the playoffs. You know, they lost a controversial playoff game to the Bengals. I think now I don't think they'll win the division, but I think they could have a better record. On the other hand, those AFC West teams could be beating each other up again. Yes, you for, could see a team like Buffalo or Tennessee get the home field advantage again. John McLean with us from the Houston Chronicle, TexasSportsNation.com, covers the NFL. Um, I, I, I'm all on board with the rumor mill of Tom Brady. I would have believed it had it happened a month ago instead of this weekend with the, the Miami rumors this past weekend. Your thoughts on the, uh, the rumors including Brady to Miami and Mike McDaniel having to address that this week? I haven't put any stock in that whatsoever until Armando Salguero wrote on outkick.com not to totally put it to bed for next year. Now, McDaniel will have to do really great keep them from Myron Sean Payton if they had the chance, but everybody thinks Sean Payton is going to Dallas, New Orleans, is going to get a number one pick, maybe a number two. Maybe he'll be as valuable as two wide receivers, but I'd be shocked at this point of his career. Brady would not want to start over with another team, a new head coach, learn uh, another system and terminology. He can do it, of course. But he's so comfortable right there in Tampa. And I don't care if he's building a monster home in Miami. He's got enough money to have monster homes all over the country. John, which of the three NFL stadium headlines interest you the most? One, the Bills building a brand-new outdoor stadium in Orchard Park. Two, the Titans building an indoor stadium right next to their current one in downtown Nashville. Or three, the report that the Chiefs are considering building a new stadium across the state line in Kansas. And one more, Denver had a fire, yeah. and they may not be able to get the suites. That's All right. the suites that were devastated by the start of the season. Obviously, it's Nashville because I'm so close to Nashville. and spent time there and do the show with you guys, and I've been doing radio up there for 25 years. And Buffalo wasn't a big surprise because they'd been talking about, the governor had been talking about doing it. The coolest told them three years ago, they had to get another stadium. The thing about the Chiefs, I mean, they spent $250 million on Arrowhead Stadium a few years ago, and it's got great parking for a game on Sunday and tailgating. If Lamar Hunt was still alive, they wouldn't be talking about that. And the one besides Buffalo, I hope, gets the stadium, if that's what they want, would, of course, be the Titans. 
John, there's so many issues when you get around this, specifically with the Titans. The state of Tennessee and Governor Lee is proposing $500 million uh, from state money to go to the building of the stadium. That's less than half of what this stadium reportedly would cost, about $1.2 billion. When Bud Adams moved the team here, and correct me if I'm wrong, I know you remember this well, it was $140 million he got from Metro Nashville, which was roughly a little bit less than half. It was $290 million to build the stadium at the time, and that ended up happening. There were other funds that went into it also. And that, by the way, that, that's a sweetheart deal because it also included the land acquisition. Yeah. It was land acquisition and the stadium for less than $300 million. Well, and I say that, John, because you've covered this league for so long and you know how these things go. We are currently now headed towards another showdown between Amy Adams Strunk and Titans ownership and the state of Tennessee and the city of Nashville on how much each will pitch in, and it seems inevitable. Bottom line is, and Nashville should know this as well as anybody, if you don't build it, they will go. <laughs> There'll be other cities reaching out, trying to get them. It's like Toronto always let them know if the Bills wanted to go, they would go. There are cities around the two countries that would love to have an NFL franchise. I don't think the Titans will leave, but I'll say this. When we built the stadium here, Bob McNair, he put in a big chunk of money. The NFL today will put in a couple of hundred million dollars that has to be paid back. But the way we paid here, PSLs, uh, long-term auto rental, which didn't affect locals, and uh, a tax on places that benefited the most from where the stadium was. And then that's like businesses. And the other one was uh, hotel motel tax, which doesn't affect locals either. You know, when I come up there, I don't look at all the taxes on my room. When I look at my rental cars, I don't look all at all the taxes. If I did, I'd pass out. And people just generally don't do that. So it's not like they're going to have to pay property taxes. That money's not going away from schools or the firemen or anything like that. It's, if, if they do it the way we did it here. And that way, people could raise all kind of cane and say, well, you can't take that money away from other places. Well, they didn't. They just added taxes that would affect people coming from out of town. And with all the people coming from out of town to Nashville, my goodness, that'd be the best way to pay for it. John McClain with us. John Jim Ursay. Um, man, he, he today he continues to talk about Carson Wentz and how it was a move that they had to make and it was not a uh, great move to bring him in. Uh, mentions that, you know, they lucked out with, with Matt Ryan, but... Uh, it then says he believes in their their coach and their GM and their process, but I can't help but watch him speak and think that both of those guys, Ballard and Reich, know that it is a you know playoffs or pink slips type year for them. And I would say to Jim Irsay, okay, why? Why was it a bad deal? Why were you so eager to get rid of him? And I'm sure they asked him that, and he tap danced, or he just didn't answer it. You know, everybody respects Chris Ballard as a GM. He had multiple chances. To be a general manager, he turned him down. He wanted to go to a franchise that had a franchise quarterback, and that's one reason he went to the Colts, because of Andrew Luck. Now he's on his fifth quarterback in five years, and Frank Reich has won one playoff game. That was over the Texans in 2018. So if he goes another year and has only one playoff victory in five years, Frank could be out as well. But that's been a smooth operation. They don't have a lot of controversy. They seem to have good people there. They just need to get in the playoffs 
and win at least one game. Now, if they miss the playoffs, there's a good chance at least Frank Wright goes. But if they get in the playoffs, I have a hard time believing Jimmy Ursay is going to fire both of them. Yeah, and it, uh, some takeaways with the Ursay's chat. He says the Jacksonville debacle, quote, was not an accident. said he's never seen anything like it in his life. Led him to some long chats with veterans on the team. His conclusion, quote, oh, my God, there's something wrong here. It needs to be corrected. I can hear him saying this, too, as I read this. He said he admitted that they were in a long, dark tunnel in late January, determined to move on from Wentz, no plan B in place, and they explored everything, including trading for a young franchise quarterback who would have cost two first-round picks, did not name the player. Can we speculate? Who do we think this was? Two first-round picks for a young quarterback. Uh, we, well, they, we, ch- they, they checked on Watson, and they told him don't insult us by making an uh, – making us an offer for Watson. So they were quickly removed and he would have cost them a lot more than two first round draft choices. Maybe they were interested in Russell getting in the Russell Wilson sweepstakes. Mate. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's it too. Um, John, have you ever I, seen a, an organization handle a, a loss on the football field worse than the craziest a fan would handle it? I feel like I've never seen an emotional response from an entire organization led by Jim Irsay to a loss like this, usually it's the perfect response. It's I us think. talking about, well, you know, teams move on; they have to, and they get going in the off season, and they they move on because they're always working quicker than a fan can move on from a game. I feel like this is the rare instance where the team is handling it worse than an emotional fan would handle it. I've never seen anything like it from the night after the game, Jim Irsay. I think it was the second night stood outside his private jet and recorded at him how devastated he was. He hasn't done Frank Wright and Chris Ballard any favors. You know, say they're about to sign a free agent, and he's torn between, say, the Titans and the Colts. Well, you can say about the Colts, man, you go there, check all this out with their owner. He's, he's about to fire these guys. Or if you come here, Mike Vrabel just got an extension. The owner loves Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel and the GM get along great. This is a lot better place to come than Indianapolis. So I could see how it could be used against him. And Ursay's being emotional. He's speaking to the fans and the media and the sweet holders and the sponsors. And I think he needs to temper it because he's not doing Ballard and Wright any good. Yeah, I agree. They, 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 at some point, they need to stop talking about it. But the loss actually benefits the Indianapolis Colts. They needed to go through this. Because if they beat Jacksonville, Carson Wentz remains their quarterback. That's what happens. They go to the playoffs, and Ursay's not firing anybody, and he's not demanding roster moves. Um, he's specifically I, mentioning that loss and how horrendous it was. They lost back-to-back games at the, in, to end the regular season to the Raiders and the Jags. I think if they win that game, John, they go to the postseason, just like they did the year prior, and ultimately Wentz is still their QB. Wentz had a better season than Matt Ryan. Now, Ryan's could have been because he didn't have Julio Jones. It looks like he's at the end of the line. And he had his best receiver, Calvin Ridley, out with mental health issues. They had the second-worst running game to the Texans. He had 20 touchdowns, 12 interceptions, and 90 rating in the previous 10 seasons. He had averaged 28 touchdowns, 4,500 yards, and 12 interceptions. So is he nearing the end of the line, or was it because of a lack of talent? And so he goes to Indy, and I'm seeing people making them a Super Bowl pick. I'm thinking, this isn't the Matt Ryan from five years ago. Look at what happened with Ryan last year. You'd have to watch the tape 
to see it was him. And I know he gets sacked a lot. They say he go the older he's gotten, the more he goes down easier than he used to. And he's, you know, he's a pocket quarterback like Carson Wentz. Wentz's problem had to have been behind the scenes with his personality, with his teammates in the huddle. There's so much more to the Wentz situation than we know and may ever know. No doubt about that. And um, he specifically mentions the Titans with media. He says he badly wants to catch, pass, and dominate Tennessee and admitted that he held a meeting after the first loss, which would have been a loss here at Nissan Stadium prior. This was when Wentz would have played hurt uh, and, and to commend him, played really banged up and, and battled through and nearly won that game, despite how things were going for their team. I uh, said he held a meeting after the first loss with Tennessee with all the coaches and scouts to drive the point home that the expectation is to catch, pass, and dominate Tennessee. Uh, that's, that's not holding anything back there with uh, his expectations for them. Jim Irsay needs to have fewer meetings, stay out <laughs> of it, let your coach and general managers run it, give them the resources, quit getting involved. John? Thank you, as always. You can always remain involved with the show, as you well know. And uh, maybe we'll catch up with you soon. We, we certainly appreciate you even every, every Tuesday, and we'll, we'll catch up with you and talk more NFL headlines next week. You're the week. best, John. Jonathan Chadlack, thank you guys very much. Give Paul my best down in Palm Beach. I tell him I make sure that he wears his sunshades and he puts his cap on that bald head and he uses like 70 sunscreen because <laughs> he doesn't want to come back there and be sore. We'll, let him, yeah, we'll let him know. Yeah, thank you, John. John McClain, uh, spoken there like a, uh, a veteran of the NFL owners' meetings. Paul will be in a hat the entire time he's outside. We, we know Paul well. We know that he will be prepared for that sunlight on the bald head. So there, he'll be in a hat. Uh, Chad, coming up, let's talk legislation, shall we? Yeah. Why not? NCAA tournament. Let's get wild, Hutton. Let's talk there, more lawmaking process. There, <laughs> there is a proposed bill. Um, that can help the Memphis Tigers and Penny Hardaway. And then, and then the next hour, we'll talk about Dad's Acid, Jacob Swanson's band, <laughs> just to really throw a curveball in there. Uh, details next on Outkick 360. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hit us up on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Just search out Outkick360. There is a bipartisan bill that if, if it passes, will impact the way the NCAA will have to go about their infractions process. This would include statute of limitations and limiting how long an investigation could be ongoing once that case is opened and made public and a notice is sent to the, the university. Details, uh, there are details galore with this, Chad, but... This would impact the way the, the governing body for college sports goes about their investigations, namely the, the ones that come to mind specifically. The University of Tennessee, which we had no updates on for months and months and months and months. 
the, the investigation that's ongoing with the Memphis Tigers basketball program, which they've been under investigation since 2019, allegations there. So, I mean, there's, there is no rhyme or reason to the length of this process, and that's what this bill is trying to accomplish. So Transparency. It is difficult in America today to find something that most everyone would agree is a good thing if passed. Now, we can discuss, the. are we wasting time on something like this with the Senate you know, coming into legislation of NCAA infractions? Maybe. But I'm looking at this, and this is from Republican Marsha Blackburn, who we know well here in the state of Tennessee, and Cory Booker, a Democrat from New Jersey. It's pretty common sense. I mean, it cuts down on a lot of the issues that have involved the NCAA, which, let's face it, most of the time have to do with timing right. and how long it takes. It's very simple. Two-year statute of limitations. You can't go back further than two years if you're tipped off about something, if you're investigating any school. You announce that the school is under investigation, and when that is done, you have an eight-month window to close that investigation. You can't use confidential informants as evidence. you got to find it, and you got to legislate it all within eight months, and then when you give that notice of allegations, that school has 60 days to respond, and there's a hearing within 60 days, and it's done. Who wouldn't sign up for that? I don't care if you're the biggest NCAA violating school out there or you've never committed a single NCAA violation or major violation as a program. I feel like everyone would get behind that bill. Um, so, uh, look, I, I think it's, it's interesting to me that even the U.S. Senate is now having a problem with the NCAA and how they go about their business. People are pointing to, okay, this would uh, change the Memphis situation. I don't know that that's the case because this would be future cases. I think everything that's already been out there is out there. I'm not sure that something that's now been proposed when passed, it probably goes to any future NCAA case. So the NCAA, the uh, Memphis issue would still remain. But Hutton, I, I look at this and I read what's being proposed and I think, Great. This is a bipartisan bill that makes a lot of sense for the NCAA. Well, the thing that I like most about it is the statute of limitations, where you can't, right now, the current statute of limitations for the NCAA to go back in retrospect and punish uh, for something, an infraction that happened, is four years. I mean, think about that time frame. Four years, you have a full graduating class. If you are going on, you know, in my, in my timetable, I didn't graduate in four years, but you get my point here. You've got a completely different team. In many cases, a completely different coach. And four years is quite a lot of time in the, in the world of sports that we're talking about, period. But if you're going back four years, you're going back a regime, you're going back uh, a couple of different signing classes. What this bill would propose is you limit this now to two years. It would be a two-year statute of limitations instead of four uh, to go back and punish based on infractions. And again, it would require more transparency in all of this where you have to name names. You can't just say confidential informant and let that be the end-all be-all for how things are, are handed down from an infraction standpoint. The appeals process is also better which again, there's not a lot of transparency on the appeals process. The NCAA has a committee, and what this would do is make a panel of, of three arbiters um, who you know should be neutral, 
where you go in front of a panel of three arbiters to determine your appeal, not the NCAA-appointed committee for infractions? I think there's a lot of common sense here. So let's get into the confidential informant part of this quickly. It also cuts out the probability that it's going to be one of your rivals that turns state's witness against you. Someone that goes and plays for a rival school that was recruited by one, you can't just pluck those people out if you're the NCAA and say, okay, you're our CI. Right. You're our confidential informant. I'll give you another one. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of uh, a big story in the SEC. It eliminates Philip Fulmer turning state's witness on Alabama and getting them thrown on probation back in the 90s. Philip Fulmer would have to be willing to go on the record and testify against them, right? Bruce Pearl went on record, and it ruined his career for a time when he did that and turned, uh, uh, turned against Illinois when he was at Iowa as an assistant coach and recorded a conversation and turned it over to the NCAA. So it would force informants or witness, they would then become witnesses to actually step forward and go on the record and not be able to claim confidentiality in being an informant for the NCAA. I'm all for all of these things. And I'm all for having some rhyme or reason to the duration of this process. Yep. While you're sitting around waiting on them to rule and recruits and parents and families and coaches and fans want to know what's going on and if it's in the best interest of what's going on at your university and you can't find answers. Now, at least with this, we potentially would have answers to this entire process. Headlines next on Outkick 360.